everyone, and welcome to The Interchange, brought to you by Maximize. My name is Rahel Heineke, and beside me is my co-host, Matthew Heineke, and we are so excited with our guest today. And I'll let Matt introduce him to us. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about corporate culture and diversity and inclusion, amongst other things. And our guest today is Jonathan Mueller. He's the co-CEO of Ascend Behavior Partners. He's been described as a leader who is smart and focused, having superior emotional intelligence and a role model with grit, vision, and passion. He's helped families in Tanzania who lost loved ones due to AIDS restart their businesses with a small business microfinancing program, has been a ski coach, and is a dedicated husband and father of three. So welcome, Jonathan. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Matt and Rahel. It's great to be here. Awesome, awesome. Our pleasure. Yes. So we always start these uh, discussions by first breaking the ice. So what I want to ask you, Jonathan, is what is the weirdest thing you have done that you can remember? Oh, gosh. Weirdest. I, I don't know if this is weird or just plain stupid. <laughs> Let you all be the judge. Okay. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, way back when I studied abroad in, um, uh, in Beijing, China for a semester. And um, at one point we had rented bikes and uh, they dropped us off way up the Lee River. And um, we floated the Lee River. And it was amazing. And then we had to bike like it was over 20 miles back and my bike broke within like oh, no. a half mile. And I tried everything I could. To, I was duct taping my foot to the bike and to the pedal. And uh, um, and finally, I was just like, I, I can't do anything else. So I just left the bike and I was with two friends and we got back and um, uh, we were eating dinner and the bike owner came over and had me like thrown in jail. <laughs> what? Oh, no. What? It was, I mean, I think every like, American, at least back in the 90s, like ends up in a Chinese jail at some point. But yeah, oh he put me in and said, you've got, you've got to pay for this bike. But I was like, no, it's broken. I had no way to get back. Anyway, everything turned out fine. It was a very short stint. And, um, uh, and yeah, but that, that was probably pretty dumb. Oh my gosh. So wait, Jonathan, you'll say you've been in a Chinese jail? I've been in a Chinese jail. Actually, that's not even the most interesting part. The best part is there, it was literally like the classic good cop, bad cop routine. And what, and the good cop um, was just sitting there and, 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 you know, saying all the right good cop things. And at one point um, uh, started to quote Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. Wow. So I was like, oh, wow. Very, very learned. Um, trying wow. to call up our founding fathers. So. Yeah. Oh my God, that is hilarious. Cool. So it sounds like you, you've traveled quite a bit and you lived in Tanzania for a while. Uh, of course, Rahel's from Tanzania. So uh, yeah, be just it, tell us a little bit more about that. that well, oh, before we get into oh. that one, what I wanted to mention was that I saw a very interesting Isaac Newton quote on your site. And mm. I wanted to give you one of ours that we like. And it's, uh, if I have seen further than others, it's by standing upon the shoulders of giants. And I thought that really fits why we're doing what we're doing, you know, in this podcast, because, you know, you are ahead of the, we are a young company and there are many people probably listening who are trying to learn about how do we get there? How do we get to where you are? And, you know, standing on the shoulders and looking and giving this information about what you've already done, been there, done that and sharing with others. I think that was a very fitting quote from Isaac Newton for this one. So I just want to start it off like, like that. <laughs> Right on. Oh, I, I love that quote. You know what? To me, there's like a humbleness, right? That, I mean, so much of what we're fortunate to have in life is because of our mentors, our families, our parents, our friends, teachers who have like gone so far out of their way to like 
help us become that. And I, and I look back and a lot of times I shake my head over my life. Like, why would someone have invested any time in me at all? And, um, and so anyway, so I, I just, yeah, I love the quote because it feels like this profound sense of um, wanting to pay it forward. Yes. And Isaac Newton captured it perfectly. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Sorry. You can go back to your question. No, no, no. Now you got me off track because I'm talking about Isaac Newton and, and I love physics and math and science and all that, you know, I have a degree in engineering. So, uh, yeah, I think Isaac Newton was probably one of the smartest people that, that ever lived. And uh, just amazing, like, all the stuff he came up with is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, that's totally off track. We're going, <laughs> we're going back to Tanzania. Tanzania. So, yeah, it'd be good, just interesting to hear a little bit about your experience in Tanzania and how that, you know, I think you spoke about uh, uh, something to do with, like, village Oh no! In in your website, you mentioned you know you know you know you're like a you're like a village. The way you help uh, your people, at least when you look at the feeling of your company, it feels like you're very together, stronger together. You know, mm-hmm. you, you we are not alone. We're not isolated. And you use the word village, so I was like, oh, that's something I totally can relate. You know, being from Tanzania, I'm like, yeah, I I, I totally get that togetherness. I guess that's what you were asking about. Yeah, so, so I was trying to tie it, tie it together. The experience of Tanzania and and being in a village and I've experienced that too that there's this more kind of uh village type of thinking where we all take care of each other which I think is lacking a little bit in the United States so it'll just be cool to hear all your thoughts about all that it's a lot of stuff but <laughs> yeah I, you know it, it is lacking you know one of the things that that I believe as human beings like we are relationship driven beings, right? Everything that we do is in a context of, um, you know, our local tribe or village or whatever we, whatever we call it. And I mean, that's how you know, we, we get um, going way back when, like, that's how we get protection, right? That's how we keep the animals of the night away. Um, but like, you bring that to modern day and think about all these little potential villages that can exist, whether it's our family or our, our community, or for a lot of us who, you know, are spending 40 plus hours a week at work, that's a village, or I should say that has the opportunity to be, to be a village, right? And it's, so what, what's always felt critical to me is like, how can we be intentional about taking this group of human beings in this organization um, and making it feel like a community, like a village where we take care of one another, we support one another, um, and we help push each other to be better. Um, that's felt important. And that was a huge thing I learned in Tanzania. So I, um, you know, the, the, the quick context of that is I spent um, close to six years in the corporate world um, uh, before going to Tanzania. So I, you know, I was a management consultant. And uh, to this day, I, I describe myself as a, a recovering management consultant. Um, and I spent a few years in Silicon Valley, you know, um, at, at, a, uh, at a, a wonderful technology company. But, you know, one day I just woke up and said, you know, I don't want to sell more supply chain software. There's more to what I want to do with my life. Um, coming back to this idea that I've been given so much. And so um, I had never spent time in Africa and, and I found this wonderful NGO um, in Arusha, Tanzania, Northern Tanzania that um, would bring in volunteer business advisors. And so I was so fortunate um, um, it, you know, to, to work with, um, it, it was both a microfinance program that made loans to people in the village who would secure loans for one another. You know, you think about having five different people that take out a loan and then they're each securing loans. Anyway, the Grameen Bank pioneered this back in the 70s, but just a profoundly powerful way um, to help people and get access to, you know, to small amounts of capital. But the other part, um, you know, was um, there, a lot of families had, um, had owned a business, but lost their breadwinner to AIDS. And 
uh, they were looking to restart their business and they needed you know, just small amounts of capital, you know, maybe a little bit of training or support or guidance here or there. Um, but the biggest thing that I learned uh, was, you know, not to be like this big, like, oh, the white dude who's going to come in and save everyone, right? The, the Mzungu from the U.S. who's going to be like, yes, I can, I, I can, I, I can save you, and I'm here to help. And you know, even in the best of intentions, and I, I you know, I, I made this blunder. Like, even with the best of intentions, that's the absolute wrong approach, right? What's most important is how do you stand with people on their journey. Um, and so, I was really humbled over the course of the the six months that I spent in Arusha um, to learn the importance of standing with people on their journey at meeting them where they are and helping in whatever way I could. Mm. Uh, very, uh, very insightful. Yeah, uh, that's really deep. I mean, first of all, thank you for that. Thank <laughs> you for doing that. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it is that. It is that um, you, you mentioned the feeling of, oh, you know, the white people come and they help us. And, you know, it's more about standing with us. You know, it's, you know we say you, you, you teach a man to, is it teach a man to fish? Is that what it, how it says? You know that saying? Yeah. You teach a man to fish and then they have to, so that they can fish for themselves. You don't yeah. fish for them. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that's kind of what you're, you are doing when you are in Arusha. But yeah, that's, I like that aspect. Yeah, yeah for sure. And so you talk about creating this kind of village culture within your organization where everybody's looking out for each other and helping each other. What, what, what have you done to create that? What, what types of activities or ideas or processes do you use to, to create that village atmosphere? I, I think it all starts with um, your values and being extraordinarily intentional about what's important to you as an organization. Um, and so, you know, I think every organization has a mission and a vision and values. I mean, it's almost just become like it's commodity. Right? Like yeah. it, there's, there's like, I mean, even Enron, right? If you remember that Enron financial yeah. scandal, they had like five values that were like awesome values that I would have like picked for a company. So like, <laughs> So, so it's not about just like having values that sit on a coffee mug. Um, I get really frustrated by that. What's most important is that like, is, you know, are those values that you espouse, are they being lived every single day um, in the organization? Are people demonstrating those values line behaviors and are they reinforcing one another when that happens? And I think that's the best way, uh, you know, as an aside, the best way to determine culture in an organization is just, you know, ask that one question. What behaviors get reinforced here? That will tell you the true culture of an organization. So I think it all starts with um, being super intentional and steeping um, new team members as they come on board in in your value set. And so you know it's why we've you know we have close to forty hours of week one training, and we spend several hours on day one. That's all we talk about. We talk about how what our values are, but more importantly we help new team members connect their personal experience to our values so that it, it sticks. And then, you know, building on that six hours of intentional relationship building training, which is really important in an organization that serves children with autism and families living with autism. You have to be, um, you know, part of the, um, you know, what we see in the most successful um, treatments is the quality of the therapeutic relationship with families. So spending literally, we have like six hours of training that just talks about the basics of building strong relationships. Um, and then I think a really important part, you know, organizations that, that have strong cultures are not because like the CEO says, <laughs> we've got a strong culture, right? Or the head of HR says it. Organizations with strong cultures, like literally like imbue their frontline team members to, um, 
to live those values and to like to feel ownership for that community, that village that we are. And so little things like we give everyone who well, everyone who starts gets a buddy that they get to meet before they even start, you know, who starts helping them not only answer questions, but say, hey, here's what values um, we represent. They go out and grab coffee with them. We give every new team member who comes on board a $25 Visa gift card, and we say, hey, use this any way you want, but go out and build community um, in, in whatever way you want. So that, that's also felt really important to um, yeah, building that into our frontline team. Wow. Oh, that's great. I think that's really cool. Yeah. It, you know, especially when you're a new employee and you come into a somewhere we don't know anybody mm-hmm. to feel that uh, more accepted and to, to understand that, you know, you have this kind of village type of values. Uh, I think goes a long way for sure. Because a lot of times, you know, I remember I, uh, you know, I worked in the corporate world for 20 years and you'd come in and they say, yeah, here's your mentor and just call them every time you need something. But it was still kind of uncomfortable. You know, there was not really a big outreach. It was just like, here's your packet, here's your training, read, read, here's our corporate, you know, like you said, mission, yep. mission values, read through this, study it, you know, memorize it and then go on. And then so, uh, I guess a follow-on question is, you know, you, you you instill this in your your new hires, but how do you how do you keep it going? Mm. Yeah, yeah that, that's so critically important. And I think there's a few ways it happens. One really important way is through storytelling. Um, and it's something that I, you know, we never as leaders, we never have enough time to communicate, right? But we can we can never communicate too much. There's no such thing as communicating too much. In fact, I like to say, hey, once someone like calls me up and says, Hey Jonathan, you don't have to talk about that anymore. Because you've said it 10 times. That's when I know, like, all right, all right, fine, I've got to. So, you know, I, I um, you know, as as a a story, a leader as storyteller, um, what I like to do is create an environment um, where I am catching people doing something right. So um, you know, I think it's pretty common in companies these days where someone does something wrong and then, ooh, do you feel like you're gonna jump all over them? That's the exact opposite. That's how you create non-psychologically safe cultures. But to create psychological safety, I, you know, recognize someone who demonstrates a values line behavior and then shout it out to the rooftops. So I try to model doing a lot of that with my teams so that in turn they are doing it with their supervisees and their supervisees are doing it with, with theirs. Um, that's felt really important to, to push that through. And that storytelling has to always come back to, um, it, I just, I, I use this term, like I'm very open kimono, transparent. So I'm going to talk about my personal experiences because that's, um, you know, I'm going to tie it back to why, I don't know, our playful spirit value, our authentic relationships value was important to me, but then it has to emotionally resonate with our teams. And so being able to stay close enough to your teams where you understand, like, you're, you know, you're getting feedback from them ongoing about, you know, what's going great, what's not going so well that we've got to tackle and, and then creating emotional resonance with them through that storytelling is, um, is really critical. You know, the other things is creating space and time for, um, for teams to be able to get together, which has been harder through COVID certainly. Um, but you know, that it, it doesn't have to just be going out and going bowling, right. For a night or, or going out to grab coffee. Um, you know, having, uh, you know, having little get togethers on zoom, we did a lot of that throughout COVID and, um, just sharing stories of what's going well, what's not it actually at last the holiday season, we had, uh, uh, two of our team members actually, you know, dress up as elves and a whole kids and others jumped on, um, uh, a zoom and they read, you know, the night before Christmas. So it's little things like that, um, and really empowering your teams so that they're doing it. You don't just have to rely on an HR department or a CEO or someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, to be doing it. 
No, that's great. And uh, and you, you mentioned, uh, you know, you have this kind of playfulness and what types of things have you done? I mean, you mentioned doing, dressing up like the, uh, the elves, but is there, you know, is there, are there other types of things you do to encourage play and, and uh, bonding together at work? Yeah, we, we do all kinds of stuff. So we've done escape rooms uh, before as, as teams. Uh, this we've done, this is going to sound super silly, um, but we get bitmojis. I don't know if you're familiar, Rita, with a bitmoji yes. where it's like your persona in like any kind of, and you just share it. We have an internal uh, messaging system that we use. Um, and actually one of our clinical directors in Texas is awesome. Like every morning she, she puts up a different bitmoji that just says, Good morning, Team Texas. And then everyone's like shooting bitmojis back and forth. Good morning. Hey, what's up? Have a great day. And again, it's like really little silly things like that, but that we have found that's most powerful. Because it's not about like having the big annual get together, right? Or the big holiday party. That's not what's powerful. You know, what creates trust over time and builds authentic relationships are the sort of that, that little reinforcement of doing things like I just described and, and lots more uh, that just show people that you're showing up as leaders, as, as coaches and supervisors. Um, yeah. That's always felt important. I definitely see you are definitely living what you have in your missions. And I know one of your missions words, I mean, your values is fun. Your fun is your value. And as you're describing, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can definitely see you're living, breathing that, uh, val- those values. So yeah, that's good to know. I, I, I like that view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I was just going to say, I think it's cool, like you talk about the Bitmoji thing. I, you know, again, working in corporate America, I remember anytime you'd send a little post like that or like a, one of those, like a GIF or a YouTube video to someone, I always felt like kind of guilty, like, is my boss going to get mad? At me? <laughs> yeah. Sending this YouTube, you know, I should be working yeah. right now. <laughs> funny, stupid YouTube videos to my colleagues. So I, I think it's really cool that you encourage that type of behavior because. Because, yeah, I never got a chance to get that close to people either because I felt like this is a work environment. This is not like have fun with your colleagues environment, which is totally wrong, in my opinion, because you don't you don't get to know each other on that level and you don't create that village. And you're not you're every person for themselves kind of thing. And there's not that psychological safety or emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. You know, at, at Ascend, one of the things, I mean, the work that we do, we're, we're working with young children with autism um, and in their homes, in the family's homes. And these are families whose, you know, world has changed having gotten a diagnosis. You know, what we see is, um, you know, they're, they're going through a grieving process for the child they thought they had. And so, you know, going through and helping with like really hard skills like potty training um, and uh, any functional communication. Um, these are really hard things. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're very clear with our team and we recognize how hard that is. And, and as, hard as, um, as hard as those things are, it's almost like, hey, being able to still imbue a playful spirit through the ups and through the downs, it, like that's a really important thing to to kind of keep in the forefront of our mind. It's almost like that expression of like, you know, life is very serious, but we should never take ourselves too seriously. I think that's part of what we've tried to channel that idea of playful spirit. And, uh, yeah. And the fact that we play with the young kids, right. And they, like, that's, they respond to that. Yeah. Now, how did you manage to do that? Especially last year during such a time where it was difficult for everyone already. And now adding to them, having this extra layer of difficulty, how did you feel that went for your company? Did it make it worse, better, or how did you navigate? Yeah, 
we faced, I mean, we faced a really existential question. You all remember is like all of a sudden COVID was real and, you know, where society was locking down, communities were locking down, schools were closing. And we faced this existential question, like what, you know, are, are we going to continue on? Are we going to shut down? And do you know what, like most and best informed our decision, the feedback from our families. We certainly had some families who paused treatment, but other families said, look, we need you now more than ever. Mm -hmm. Living with autism is so hard in the best of times, right? Kiddos need stability and routine and consistency and support. And so now we're in the midst of this global pandemic. And so our families uh, came to us and said, hey, look, you know, preschools are shut down. Schools are shut down. Um, you know, we can't go out. We're totally out of our routine. You know, we need your help more than ever. And so it was a no brainer for us. Um, and, and certainly it was, it was hard. Like I'll be, I'll be honest. Um, we'd always been providing home-based services. So, you know, that at least that wasn't a transition, but we had to make a lot of different, um, uh, just sort of safety and other adjustments and program adjustments to make sure we were doing everything we can, we could to protect the families we served and kiddos we served and to protect our team members. That was just foundational for us. And it was really awesome is very early on, um, there was just this like extreme outpouring of support. And remember, we're like an entirely remote workforce where, you know, our behavior technicians would, would go, you know, to, to a family's home and then, you know, commute back home. And, um, and so it was just like, it warmed my heart seeing on messaging channels, if someone was able actually to get some of the, you know, the, um, you know, antiseptic or cleaning supplies, somehow they got to, they'd be like, Hey, I'm going to be here. I've got a pop-up antiseptic drop-off. Does anyone need it? You'd be like, yes. Yeah, even toilet paper. Remember like, toilet oh, yeah, yeah. so we'd have these pop-up toilet paper or like drop off things like who would have ever thought that was a thing um but you know sometimes it is in the the, the hardest of times that um i think true character gets revealed and that's exactly what we saw in our teams and i am filled with gratitude yeah i think it goes to show how you know the being a village so being there for each other even when times are down you know you help each other up so they already knew you as part of their village part of their family so if we're down, we're all down. So no, we're going to keep each other up. So that's awesome. That's wonderful. So did you see any changes, though, that were positive through the pandemic that you think you're going to keep after that? One of the biggest things that, that I directly observed um, is uh, just better conversations around our whole health. And what I mean by that is, you know, um, mental health has almost been a dirty word. Mm -hmm. um, for, 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 I mean, for a long time, forever. Um, and you know, you can't talk about like, oh, I sprained my wrist. You can't talk about your, you know, ADD, um, the same way it just, it was taboo. And, um, and, you know, I, as an adult, I was actually diagnosed with ADD and, and, um, and generalized anxiety. And that's just been part of my journey, right? That's not good. That's not bad. It's just, that's part of who I am. And so, um, one of the things that I, I, I've always tried to do, um, at Ascend and in organizations I'm, I'm part of is create open spaces for people to have those conversations. And, um, you know, I think the pandemic helped to focus us and maybe the world to say, look, yeah, it's not, we can't separate physical and mental health. Like this is a part of someone's whole health. Um, and my hope is that those conversations, we're, we're continuing to become, uh, to strip away those taboo lines um, and that we're becoming more open and receptive as communities to having those conversations to make sure people can get the support they need. Imagine like you sprained your wrist or broke your wrist and you, you didn't feel like you could tell anyone. And so you weren't going to go get help. I mean, that's anathema to us. Right. Um, but that's what's happening right now with mental health. So hopefully that's, 
that's a little part of the good maybe that comes yeah. from COVID. Okay. Yeah, I think things are changing and it's great to see, you know, in the news, you see the, uh, like Gabrielle in the Olympics talking about her mental health and uh, uh, just more, more athletes and movie stars and that are starting to come out. And, and so it's good that it'll be uh, less taboo, like you said, because it's, it's, it's a health item, just like you said, like hurting mm-hmm. yourself or having cancer or anything else like that. So, yeah, we need to be able to talk about it more and so people are, aren't afraid to go get help and mm. get the treatment they need. Yeah. And I think the biggest influencers or people who we should speak more of that and make it a, it's okay to talk about is again, the people at the top, you know, if, if your boss is okay with this kind of conversation, you know, you're not going to feel scared. This is who I am. This is what, you know, this is how I am. But because it's been so taboo and on the top, you're like, you don't want to say that. You, you It's on the application says right here, you don't say that you have any of those things. You won't get hired. You know, you get scared because you're thinking they don't want to know that about me. So you're kind of bringing half of yourself to work, which is a discussion that's been going around for some time. You know, you're bringing only some parts of me, but not exactly everything. And, and so it's good to see, you know, people in your position saying it's okay. Hey, I am like this and it's okay to say that I'm like this. It's okay for you to be that way and be you. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. I applaud, applaud your bravery. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going back to, you know, your experience in Tanzania being a, a Mzungu, <laughs> white, white man. Um, how, how do you think that translates, you know, because with the past year with the Black Lives Matter and a lot of diversity and inclusion, equity and belonging kind of initiatives going on, how do you think that has influenced the way you handle that in your business? Yeah, especially given that if you're a Mzungu over there, you know what it feels like to be the different one in the yeah. group, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was it, it was hugely transformative. And you know, part of the context, I was actually born in in Japan. My parents were in the Foreign Service, and so you know, I lived in in Beijing. I lived in um, Hong Kong. Uh, growing up and back in Washington, D.C. when we weren't abroad. But um, it's sort of like it opened my eyes up that, number one, service is a good thing um, and, and a noble endeavor. And number two, that there's this great big wide world out there where people look different and um, they speak different languages and they have different customs. And like that's something to be celebrated. And so, you know, when I went to, to Tanzania, um, you know, at first I thought, well, you know, I've lived abroad before and I've traveled a lot. So here we go. I got this. And I think I made that classic mistake of just saying, oh, there's like the U.S. and then there's the rest of the world. It's not true. There's the U.S. and there's 183 other countries, (laughs) sovereign nations with different customs and language. And many of those have multiple, multiple languages. And, um, you know, the thing it brought home, one of the one very small thing, but that was important is, you know, you you go elsewhere around the world, including in Tanzania, and everyone will speak English. And as Americans, we just, hey, we're going to assume you speak English, so I'm going to speak English to you. Um, and I think it was really important. I, I ended up, I, I, I befriended a, a local elementary school teacher and, um, you know, he was willing to do, you know, a few days after school uh, a week, he would give me um, Swahili lessons. And, um, oh my gosh, I learned so much from him. Um, and it just allowed for such a better connection with my host family, with, um, uh, with my, my colleagues uh, who were Tanzanian, with, uh, um, with the families I worked with. Uh, yeah, that was that was really powerful and humbling too, right? Because oh my gosh, I'm bumbling around trying to speak this hard language, uh, hard and beautiful language of Swahili. Um, that was um, 
yeah, that was, I, I, that was transformative for me. And so, you know, I fast forward and this was like what, 16, 17 years ago. Um, and I think one of the things that, um, you know, I celebrate most is, um, you know, it's sort of diversity, including diversity of people, diversity of thought, diversity of ideas. Like that's what makes, I mean, that's not only what makes like, I think uh, communities better, that creates better business ideas, right? And there's actually research on this. Um, it, it just, it creates like stronger groups. It creates, I mean, there's so many benefits to um, to having this open mindset to say, let's celebrate, um, you know, DEIB and let's celebrate those around us. And oh, by the way, let's not just hire people who look like us because that's really easy to do, right? Yeah. Not just people who think like us and look like us and act like us. You know, let's actively go out and seek um, those who are going to bring different ideas. Um, and so that's powerful. One of the things we did um, um, a, a while back was create a cultural awareness committee um, where we, we've got a couple co-chairs, two psychologists who are on our, our team who, um, and we had this just overwhelming outpouring of, of people who are interested in um, sometimes just learning more. Um, and so having a neat learning space can be really powerful um, uh, to people who really wanted to help make sure that, um, you know, we were doing all we can as an organization to, to celebrate diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And one of the things that, that, that always felt important to me is that this wasn't the latest fad, right? And so I had 17, well, I guess, you know, 44 years going back to when I was born in Japan, um, this idea that, um, again, differences are to be celebrated and, and cherished. Um, and so, you know, when I, when I would look around and just see, you know, big corporations just make these like statements, even if they're these beautifully written like statements, like, hey, that, what's going to happen next week? That's going to go away. Yeah. It's like, this is the work we have to do every single day, not just some splashy press release. Mm-hmm. No, that's, uh, that's why I asked that question, because, yeah, a lot of times I'll see on LinkedIn, oh, we hired so-and-so, our diversity and inclusion person, they'll make a big announcement. But I'm like, okay, that's great. But what are you doing about it? You know, mm-hmm. how are you making sure that you have that inclusion? I mean, you might even be diverse. You might hire a lot of people from different cultures, but how are you ensuring that they feel included? Mm-hmm. Their, their thoughts and ideas and, and comments count, mm-hmm. make a difference in the company. Yeah, I think that goes back to what I was describing about like our week one training around intentionally talking about community. We have to intentionally talk about uh, DEIB just being like part of our value set, right? So it's creating open conversations. And, and that comes by, it starts at the top as a leader, right? Creating safe spaces um, for our teams to have those conversations. And so, you know, as I, um, being personally passionate about these things, as I see things that happen in the news, um, or, or things that go on, like I'm, I'm going to share what I'm feeling or what I'm experiencing. And my hope there is that that creates safe spaces for people to, um, to, to likewise share and to feel like, you know, they, we can have open conversations and, and dialogue. So I, I think that's the one critical part of the, the context. Um, a huge part to me is, is making sure there's like professional development that's available to our teams. Right? And um, allowing them to self-direct to say, hey, I want to get more, uh, whether it's, hey, just short webinars or internal trainings we might do around different types of, um, uh, I don't know, use of gender pronouns or, or whatever it might be, um, just to help educate to self-directing, you know, going to conferences to, you know, for, for things that people are specifically interested in. Um, like that, that feels like it needs to, um, to continue. 
But honestly, I think that the most important thing is that the, the conversation just has to keep being had. And so um, that as a leader, right, you never have enough time for anything. Um, but being super intentional about that ongoing communication and creating those safe spaces um, and, uh, and talking about it in addition to, as you described, Matt, making sure you're proactively um, using DEIB as just part of your broader recruiting and, um, uh, and hiring practices is important. And I'll share one last thing. You know, one of the things that really frustrates me as you know, and I'm on LinkedIn a lot, um, and, and I love to just post like very transparently, like, you know, what I'm, what I'm thinking. Uh, but you know, when you just see, Hey, happy Juneteenth. And then it's just some nice little picture and a, a bland, gosh, you talk about like, it just feels so empty. Yeah. And so one of the things that I try to do when I, when I do share those conversations externally, and I'm talking about it is, you know, it comes back to like, time to, what is something that like is like really personally resonant with me, whether it's my experience in Tanzania or having studied abroad in um, China or get, being born in Japan or whatever it might be. Like, I want to tie that back to like how that truly makes me feel. And it just, that feels more authentic than just posting up that little blurb that says, hey, let's celebrate today just because we needed something to post on social media. Yeah. No, I agree about That's that. I, I didn't think about that that deeply, but now that you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, wait, people do that a lot. When you have those moments, you just see them post about happy this or that, and they don't really know what the meaning of that is. They just post it because, yeah, uh, it's, it's that day. You know, they can Google what, what day is it today? How special is it? And then post that, but have no idea about what that meaning is. So, yeah, it's, it's good that you know that it is kind of frustrating to see that, you know, people, I think people should take a little bit more time and learn about what, how this day is important. Say something more than just happy this day, you know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But I like, I like how you said related it back to yourself. So that shows that, you know, you have, you have some kind of understanding of it yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, you're just, quoting from a history book or what someone else said. So that, I think that's, that's good advice for sure. Mm -hmm. I did want to mention that I'm going to give you a title as a global citizen. I still don't have someone on LinkedIn <laughs> because you were born there, studied here, lived here, traveled there. And oh my gosh. A global citizen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I deserve that, but hey, I, aspiring global citizen. It's almost you like- are, No, you are, you qualified. <laughs> uh, you know, the big thing that I, I keep, and, and Kim, my wife and I talk about now is like, how do we help our kiddos? You know, our, our three kids um, have those experiences and um, and how do we help enable that for others in our community? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just always striving. Oh, no, um, oh, there we go. Oh, Are you back? Oh, we got you yes. back. Yes. Please repeat this, this last part you just said. <laughs> oh, it, it's having, um, you know, trying to instill that in my family. And I, I want to give my kiddos who are just 10, 8, and 6 um, a chance to go abroad and live abroad and try to learn a different language. That that feels really important. Oh, no, I could, we definitely agree with you 100% because we have a similar thing here. Uh, Matt's older children are French, half French. And then mm. my older ones are from Louisiana. And then ours, I don't know, she's a mix of something. <laughs> so we have a, a variety of mixture of children. And, you know, we they go to France, we go to Tanzania. And it's like, you know, trying to teach them what is out there. Keep yourself open, travel, learn about different people, you know, yeah. because it really does make a difference. Because like you, I've, I've traveled in many countries and I feel, I feel like it has filled me as a person where I'm really able to just 
look at people as people. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to be like me at all. And, and I admire, like I always say and tell Matt, we're like a garden of flowers. If all the flowers look the same, how boring would that be? Some, exactly. some are not tall, some are short, some are a little interesting. <laughs> but that's what makes the whole garden all great together, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it's almost like, you know, we have, it's very easy to just sort of get into our tight knit communities or tribes. Right. And, and, and I don't know, I'm, I'm constantly challenging myself to say, Hey, my tribe um, is the world, right? Why do we have to, uh, yeah. Why do we have to have these um, distinct barriers of nation states? Um, You know, how can I, yeah. How can I channel that? You know, it's really interesting actually, as I, um, uh, as, as you mentioned, France, I, you know, when I got my MBA, um, our capstone project was around social venture capital. So we were in India and Mumbai um, and uh, then traveled to Nice, France. And actually that was, that, that, there was so much cognitive dissonance in, you know, first being in Mumbai and, you know, and, and um, I mean, seeing people do extraordinary things, but there's a certain sort of per capita income or, or GDP there. And then going to Monaco and seeing again, like people in social venture capital do extraordinary things, but there's just, just phenomenally different. Anyway, there's this huge cognitive distance, but what I'll never forget um, is we were out with, you know, one of our, our French um, guides one day and, uh, and he was kind of pointing out different villages and uh, he said, Oh yeah, that's an old village. That's, you know, goes back a thousand years. Oh yeah. This is a, this is a new neighborhood. It's only 300 years old. I was just like, I mean, I can walk down the street right here in Golden, Colorado and see a new neighborhood that just went up like last week, right? And they're talking about new neighborhoods being 300 years old. What a great sense of like grounding in perspective to say, well, okay, there's, a, there's this like homage to like history and what's come before us that, yeah. that feels really powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Old, old, old to, in Europe is different than old in the right. United States. Right? Oh, yeah. You know, something from antique stores, like from the 50s or <laughs> yeah. over there is from the medieval times yeah yeah i mean it's, it's a culture thing as well because the way we look at old here as a okay you're, you're dying off you're old and then mm. the way others look at old as no you're wise you actually mm. we should look up to you it's it, it yeah. it's interesting how that is in different places of the world you know that's yeah, true <laughs> there's what there's a, the old i think is it a, a chinese proverb or something that like the the taller the bamboo the deeper you bow Right, ah. which like is so true, right? Which comes right back to that idea of wisdom and like growing humility yeah. um, is ah, it's a, it's a hard skill to cultivate, but so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Wow, this is this has been so fun. And uh, just before I wrap up with the last questions, I wanted to ask: Is there anything that we should have asked that we haven't asked that you would like to share? And what would the answer be to that question that we should have asked? Maybe um, that what's what's most important in life, mm-hmm. um, and you know, as I get older, and I don't know that I'm getting wiser, I'm getting more bald. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I can't get more bald. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, to me, the most important thing in life is like spending time with values-aligned people who make you want to be a better person. Um, and I think was it Einstein who once said, like, "Hey, if you're not." growing you're dying or if you're not learning you're dying um and and it's something that's felt really important is i spend time with you know with people i just that are important to me in my life and that i want to spend time with um i recognize there's there's so much that i can still learn um and that requires like creating active like um learning mindsets and this notion of how how can i get 
1% better every day? How can my organization just get 1% better every day? It doesn't take these huge leaps. Um, but I think it comes back to this idea of surrounding yourself, surrounding myself with amazing people who I just want to keep learning from. Absolutely. I mm. uh, 100% agree with that. Learning is continuous. You know, yeah. And, and I met this guy on a cruise ship once, from a Danish guy. And he said, the older I get, the more I realize, the less I know. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, I get goosebumps. It's so true, right? Yeah. You're young, you think you know everything. You yeah. got it all figured out. And the older you get, you're like, man, I don't have anything <laughs> figured out. I thought I had it figured out. And then yeah. learn this. <laughs> told me that, that what I thought for 20 years made no sense. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> cool. Well, I have no questions for me anymore. <laughs> no, I guess maybe, maybe the final question is, you know, is there a key takeaway or something you'd like to help other uh, other entrepreneurs or or leaders leaders to that will help help them that can help them uh, kind of get in the mindset that you have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think I'll share um, one of my favorite quotes um, from one of the the, the most amazing. Um, coaches in history, coach John Wooden, who's the winningest coach um, in NCAA basketball history. He's, he's won more championships than anyone else. Um, but he said, I am at my best when my team is achieving their best. And I just think there's this humbleness to that and selflessness that is so important for leaders to have, for entrepreneurs to have, um, that, um, that I'm profoundly grateful for having you know, had mentors over the course of, of my life who helped me to understand that. Um, and so, you know, if you're putting your team first every day of the week and twice on Thursdays, like you can never go wrong. Like it, that will come back to you um, in spades and one. Yep, we're, yeah. all, we're all about teams. You're very inspirational, Jonathan. Really, yeah. you are like a lighthouse to many. So really, really grateful for everything you've shared with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I yes, absolutely. Really enjoyed the conversation. So again, that was Jonathan Mueller. And this has been The Interchange by Maximize. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>